0: Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs and love, sex and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super honored today to have my guest, Tim Watton. That's cotton with a W. (laughs) Um, And I, I have this long, you know, introduction for him. But Tim, I totally see you as an earth angel, that you are here spreading these messages of hope and reminding people to live in the present moment and never take anything for granted. So you are a huge messenger for how people should live their life. So besides being an earth angel... Tim has battled uh, the chronic lung condition, cystic fibrosis, and diabetes for nearly 50 years. He is an award-winning author, blogger, podcaster, and public speaker, helping others to overcome their life and health challenges by sharing his physical and mental survival strategies. Living in Wimbledon, England with his wife, Katie, and 12-year-old son, Felix, he knows that life is short, and this has made him appreciate the benefits of positive family and friend relationships Welcome, Tim Watton. I'm so honored that you're here with me.
1: Great. Well, thanks very much, Dawn. And do you know why I have the catchphrase cotton with a W? No, why? Well, because somebody once called my surname Wanton, a Chinese dumpling. <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh, I, thought, I, think
0: I, I think I did hear you say yeah, that.
1: <laughs> I, I need a catchphrase. <laughs> cotton with a W will hopefully tell them not to go down the food front. <laughs>
0: That's kind of like my last name was, it looks like Richard, but it's French. So I always have to say it's French, Richard, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So just making it. So that's why I was like the awakening with dawn. People can probably remember that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and plus awakening does happen at dawn. So
0: yes, exactly, exactly. So I want to start off asking you about Felix and this amazing trip to the um, air museum that you took a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah. So. Very good. Good research. Uh, this is a father and son thing that I've been desperate to do because my father had taken me to this particular air museum.
2: Uh-huh.
1: It's a massive aerodrome. It was active in World War Two. You know, They had uh, a fighter squadron base there. Uh-huh. Um, now it's got lots of huge hangars that contain a lot of World War Two planes up to current uh, fighter planes. It's even got... You know, there's an American hangar for those American listeners, uh, with the Blackbird, uh, which is if you know what that is, it's the most beautiful, beautiful, stealthy-looking airplane. Um, So I took him there, and it was um, about an hour and a half drive, just me and him, his summer holiday, and I knew he didn't know what to expect. Uh And when we got, literally, paid our entrance and walked out onto the before the hangars, there's this massive aerodrome space and there was the uh, world war ii uh american uh bomber called the flying fortress um which is you it was the memphis bell film you may recall from the 90s remember, that, yes. was the,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that was the airplane in that that was just on the right in front of us and then uh, there was the spitfire which is the uh english um fighter plane from world war ii was just taking off with a beautiful sounding engine Wow. And it was just like, glad we're here because he's witnessed that.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, It was a very special day. And it's always nice when you, as a parent, you are planning something and maybe time and work gets in the way for many years, but then suddenly you make it happen and the weather stayed fine in England. <laughs> which <is a> very- <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just a lovely day and our little sort of humor together and trying to eat our lunch outside with wasps i don't know if you get them in yeah, america yes yeah, yeah all over our food you know it's just a sort of memory of my past and yeah it was lovely to have that and hopefully he'll always remember that day
0: and what and what about the um the airplane was it called the swordfish that your great-grandfather flew it's yeah, so
1: it was katie's my wife um, uh-huh. her grandfather flew in world war ii wow that's uh, that swordfish, which was like an old-fashioned biplane but still used in world war ii uh, had a massive torpedo underneath it so it would be flying and it would try and take out um ships that was its um its uh, use in world war 2 but yeah he was able to see the aeroplane that his great grandfather that he did know
0: that's amazing
1: uh, uh, flew in world war 2 so that was very special
0: so how what was his what were his reactions and responses of the day
1: just i suppose with him if he's not always looking to be on his phone you know <laughs> Like every
0: twelve-year-old, did like every teenager, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> if he's bored, he'll do, you'll just see the top of his head at lunch and uh-huh. around the dinner table because he's looking at his phone. But actually, he was using his phone, but it was for Instagram, and he was filming himself with these planes. Cool. So you just suddenly go, yeah, this has got you. This has interested you.
0: Nice. Um,
1: and you know, I said, let's. What hangers do you want to do first? Let's plan our our day. So it wasn't just daddy being in control. It was like we co-created the day together.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. And you, you also co-create a lot of moments uh, being as hockey coach, huh?
1: Yeah, that's field hockey, um, not uh, ice hockey, which a lot of your right. listeners would probably associate with the word hockey. So especially field in hockey, Chicago. Especially in Chicago, <laughs> um, where at certain times of year, every single pond is a nice hockey option. Um, but yeah, so hockey, field hockey, played on AstroTurf. I've played all my life. It's really helped my health and my lung function to be that active. It's Uh a hard sport. And he recently took it up himself and the team needed an extra coach. So I I helped coach his team and him, like my father again, that father-son thing. He Uh he my coach in my junior days and the coach from my brothers. So it was really lovely to be able to, to play my part and, you know, again, you're playing in the really cold conditions. Right. Um, winter. It's a winter sport predominantly. So, you know, I, I was smiling behind a slight frown at times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he doesn't say, "Shut up, Dad! You're not, not, you're not my coach, or you're not my dad." Does he ever get really, into that?
1: <laughs> he, uh, I think, when you uh, those listening that have coached any of their children in any form of sport, let's say maybe baseball, little league, you've got to get a balance of. um Giving everybody the same sort of command and
3: right.
1: guidance, so you, you're not trying to look like your sons or your child's being um, made to feel special. In fact, or, I was pretty Or
0: honest. the or the other direction too, because some dad coaches are harder on their kids, right?
1: Yeah, I think I was at times,
0: cause,
2: uh-huh.
1: um, but at the same time, um, he never complained, and I kept the narrative say, with him saying, "Would you like me to stop?" Being coach or am I too much
0: uh-huh. just
1: so that he had a chance to say
0: this um, isn't working for me maybe yeah,
1: yeah. rather but than just has, assuming that it was all good
0: but but he's he's okay like you're a cool coach
1: I he never complained
0: <laughs> yeah because my my ex coached a lot I mean every one of my kids numerous seasons and they all said, Oh, he was a great coach. You know, he's a great coach. So I'm really thankful that, that he had that impact in their life. Mm. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, way to bring I them closer. Them
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bond, you know, and we go and watch sport together.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a
1: sport that isn't so popular in your country, rugby,
0: uh-huh.
2: uh,
1: where, you know, it's like American football, but they don't wear all the pad thing. Right. And the helmet.
0: They're beefier <laughs> and stronger and tougher.
1: Yeah. They're just madder. Um, <laughs> yeah we watch that together, and he he knows the players and the team, and also he likes soccer um so we follow you know I think the English premiership soccer is well known around the world right so we, you know What's,
0: what uh, team what team are your favorites
1: well i'm from this lowly town called Southampton, so
0: oh, my son so. actually likes them
1: oh well, there yeah. we go, <laughs> not so lowly uh <laughs> Your son, he's got good taste. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm a Saints fan, and uh-huh. so my son is by default, though, because we live in London, he supports Chelsea. Uh
0: huh. My, my other son likes uh, Manchester United,
1: okay? Yeah, well, and the wor- rest of the world,
0: yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, so it's lovely for me to be able to chat to him on this sort of similar level, like I would do with my friends when we go out Uh and Felix, he's only 12. He's a bit of an encyclopedia now. Really? A rain man thing going on about stats and data. He seems to know everyone, you know, which club they've been to and you know, how many years, how many goals,
0: but then to do
1: something at school, he's like, I can't be bothered. Well, because
0: it's not as interesting. You know, my, my, my uh, kids play a lot of FIFA you know, on the PlayStation. Yeah. And so my oldest son, especially like he knows all everybody's salary, how no. many times they've been traded, you know, like all the politicking and because yeah. they're fascinated. So I think they, I think they gained some great skills by watching and, you know, You're right. being, being obsessed with it.
1: Yeah. And just trying to translate it to something at school would be helpful one day.
0: Right.
1: uh, That's a work in progress.
0: It's always a work in progress. (laughs) Okay.
1: You're you're one, your children are a bit older than Felix. So I'll bow down to your knowledge on that.
0: (laughs) And then, um, and then I heard you said that you met Katie uh, through field hockey as well.
1: Yeah. She played, um, it's this rare sport in as much that um, men and women can play together. So it's called mixed hockey.
2: Uh Uh-huh. And,
1: um, It's very sociable, and she would play for her club um, on a Saturday, and I would play for a different club. But early in the 90s, we knew each other through playing for this other uh, mixed team on a Sunday, Uh and it was a slow burner because we always got on. But I've learnt many things in life, but one is that timing is is everything, and the timing probably wasn't right. Either she was with someone or I was with someone. Mm
3: -hmm. And then
1: in our late 20s, we were both single and uh i saw her just before a saturday game because there was this pub that we'd meet in a bar
0: before and, the game
1: yeah <laughs> not brow call it's just a meeting spot okay definitely returned there for a refreshment. <laughs> but she um she i asked her how she was because i made a bit of a beeline for her um i think there was always there was always a fwee to use a bit of french um
0: She's beautiful, she's beautiful by oh, the way. Thank you Dawn, yeah.
1: uh, I agree. And uh, she, uh, I asked her, how are you doing, Katie? She says, oh, I'm not so good, um, men are awful. You know, She maybe had a difficult situation or last boyfriend hadn't been very pleasant. Mm-hmm. And I jokingly said, oh that's because you've never dated me, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> Look at you.
1: I know. tried the line. Uh, and actually, it was only a month or two later that at a Christmas party, everyone's favorite party, Christmas party, uh, we sort of um, did more than just talk. So
0: Hooked up, my kids call it.
1: Hooked up, yeah. We um, <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, it was, you know, there's a sex in the city expression I tend to throw about, which is when a man knows he's sort of ready, because we're a lot less mature than women. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those men that thinks we're not, we are, by a couple of years. And if, not that a lady we would ever listen, but if we just told, they're less mature than you, don't expect them to be as mature as you, because it will take a while. But the Sex and the City expression is, when a man's cab light is on, then the next serious relationship is one they'll go off in the night with. Wow. And my cab light was on.
2: Wow.
0: The fact that
1: we we both played hockey was, you know, you've already got a lot in common.
0: Right. Um,
1: And very similar upbringings. And uh, we still played uh, Sunday hockey together. Uh, And it's it's just a really good bond. And um, found out that um, when I think when you're around about 30, you don't need to muck about and spend five years trying to fathom things.
0: Figuring it out.
1: Yeah, you work it out pretty quick, whether it's a good mix and match.
0: Yeah, I, I chemistry a,
1: feels appropriate.
0: I had a friend years ago say like a, they had a three date rule, like three dates, and then you can figure out if you actually want to go on more dates. Okay. Uh, and then a three month rule, like after three months, if you don't have the sense of this is something you want to pursue, then it's probably not, you know. And and, and I feel like the older you get, the more true that is, you know. it yeah, that, probably
1: goes down to one date and one month. You get probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how probably long? One,
1: one minute and uh, <laughs> one hour.
0: <laughs> so how long did it take you and Katie to um, get to the point where you decided, you know, yeah, let's, this is it, this is our, uh, you know, I I want to be your have, partner.
1: Yeah, I probably could have proposed to her way before I did. There was only about a year and a half, two years in dating. Mm-hmm. um And I used to, I'm quite a cheeky guy, you know, because I've got. My cystic fibrosis, which is a real hardship every day. Uh-huh. Um, I try and find a lot of things to make life lighter and fun
2: uh-huh.
1: um, because life is far too short, and I know that. Um, uh-huh. But so I used to tease her by at dinner, I would say, Would you? and then do a pregnant pause <laughs> and then say, Pass the salt, please.
0: You're so mean. <laughs> How did she put up with that?
1: Well, I think if you're quite natural, I'm not trying to be something different. If she likes this goofy guy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then, you know, we've got a good chance, haven't we? If I'm trying to be, you know, my best behavior and can't oh, be a yeah. goof, then that. when you are trying to be a the goof, she'll go, what, why are you different? Yeah. So, yeah, it just helps. You no, know, your friends inherently like the person you are. Yeah. What's and all? Yes, and I know that a marriage or a long-term relationship is different to your best friends, but there are there are some similarities in as much that try and be your true self, because don't try and reinvent or become a different person. And I've yeah. seen certainly guess... male male friends having to be a very different animal than they were before. And yeah, I haven't seen those relationships always last.
0: No, because I feel like when people pretend and they hide, then of course they're going to be issues because you can't pretend and hide for very long.
3: Mm.
0: You know, eventually this, those, this tiger doesn't change its stripes. It's like, yeah. I, I can pretend I'm a lion or, you know, or a kitty cat, but you know, <laughs> if my tiger comes out, it's like, it's my tiger because that's who I am.
1: Yeah.
3: So,
0: so,
1: so I did, I did, um, Put it out there, and uh, as far as it's likely that I'm going to propose. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, and this will sound quite quite cheeky, um, but I decided to post, propose to her on her birthday because it would be just one less date to remember.
0: <laughs> did she appreciate that, or did was she upset about that?
1: Uh, she was delighted to be asked. <laughs> I'd like to think. <laughs> I'd rang up her father the night before. Uh I'd left her flat to go out in the car and rang up her father, Uh who uh, all these years later still hasn't said yes, but never mind. He was just a very formal chap. I like like the gentleman a lot. Um, But back then he was even more formal. Uh and uh, He sort of gave me a very general answer without saying, great, yes. Um, But anyway, you know, it was his daughter and I've got to respect that. Uh huh. So I, I got that. I was always felt I was going to do that sort of courtesy thing. Um, so yeah, the next day on her birthday, I then proposed and, uh, so that was November and then we married the following July so mm.
0: 2003. Nice. So how, <clears throat> how has Katie embraced you dealing with your, uh, cystic fibrosis? because i because i would imagine you know every relationship has challenges but this is a life and death challenge every day yeah so yeah. how has she faced this with you how has she helped you face this with you
1: okay well the answer to that is a whole podcast of but, course um, to condense it, it she one thing that hasn't been mentioned she's a nurse
2: ah okay
1: but she's not a nurse to cystic fibrosis people she's a nurse um, like a senior um, nurse Uh in a London hospital dealing with um, people before they have um, cancer operations
3: Mm.
1: so she's extremely experienced but intuitively she understood the illness knew about it I was able to coach her and share more Mm -hmm. because I look relatively well but it's what lies beneath with cystic fibrosis
0: right right.
1: I'm a diabetic as well so you know, the this will sound counterintuitive to people, but it's what she doesn't do that's important. She doesn't uh, make a big fuss at times.
3: Mm-hmm. CF
1: isn't, cystic fibrosis isn't more than it ought to be in the relationship. But when I'm having a tough time or I need to go to hospital or when I'm going for an outpatients appointment, we can have a really joined up conversation and she's all ears. Mm-hmm. So it's when the chips are down or when I really need her support, then she's got my got me covered but for most of the time certainly now that she's a mum's well and she still works um pretty much full-time you know I can't be that sick note partner because actually that I don't want to come across as that broken record and most of the time we actually it's a better flow when I'm not moaning about it or talking about it what I will say is that because one of the common side effects of my lung condition is coughing. Right. That is, we're so beyond me waking her up at night and, you know, sadly, a lot of people die young with cystic fibrosis in relationships as well. Right. Um, their lungs become so poorly that they may need some new lungs via transplant and may, that may not always work. So, You're speaking to somebody that is partnered with with um, a lady who we're in sort of uncharted territory in lots of ways because for my long term condition we're we're sort of 16, 17, 18 years together. Mm -hmm. We're actually a lot of couples with fibrosis in there, whether it be a girl or boy. They don't the relationship never lasts that long because the person with CF has died. Uh So we're yeah we're way beyond and so it's challenging and. I'd say we really suffer with the, the low moments uh-huh. and have to be even more joined up. Um, and, but thoroughly appreciate the fun bits and the, 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 the lighter moments. I think that's, um, that that's the balance we've got.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there other struggles in your relationship besides dealing with CF?
1: Um, well, we, it was a big adjustment, um, to becoming parents. We had to do six yeah. rounds of IVF to get Felix. Wow. The side effect of my CF is that I'm infertile. So,
2: uh-huh.
1: um, yeah, we had IVF breaks a lot of couples. It's, uh, such an emotional roller coaster.
2: Yeah. And
1: that, that didn't really affect us as a couple. We were a super focused and 110% up for being parents. So, the frustrations um, and when IVF doesn't work it just sends you down a very sad little spiral mm-hmm. um, certainly when all your friends are having babies willy-nilly mm-hmm. um, and you know that the IVF is the only route and it's only a 25% chance of success it's
3: mm-hmm.
1: pretty tough uh, thing to take on but anyway once we finally got Felix in 2007 um, because we had never had that sort of cozy chat about well what's your parenting style what's mine yeah we, yeah and she uh, Katie had a difficult birth and so for herself she was on the back foot health-wise for many years we really struggled that was a really I think every new parent struggles Um, lack of sleep yeah he probably took on because of my health she's got also uh or she, she doesn't have to but she knew that she had to try and keep me alive by not expecting me to be everyday man and being up all night as well, right. as well as going to work. Right. So she took the hit um, and still does quite a bit on stuff that other men may do. Um, so, uh, you know, one example is we've just gone on holiday to Spain. Um, it's mainly the, the fathers that are up to um, put towels on the sun lounges, but I'm doing my medication, so she does it. Right, you know, little things like that. That right. it's just that, weird. That,
0: that other people take for granted.
1: Yeah, or they just do because they don't know anything else, mm-hmm. um, and the wife expects them to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that early, the early parenting was tough. But I'm also was aware that I've lost lots of, I've lost hundreds of friends with CF over the years.
0: Yeah, I can't even, even imagine.
1: Sad, there was actually quite a lot that become parents, and it's just too much for them. Uh huh. Uh, because they just get too tired and their lung function dips and it's just a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's in the back of my mind all the, those years, those early formative years, you know, I don't want, I want to be a dad as long as possible, but it'd be even better if I can be there, you know, for as much of his life as possible and not uh, fall too early. And that did mean that Katie did take the hit. Mm-hmm. Um, But um, I then, you know, maybe helped out in lots of ways by taking him out, uh, Felix out in the pram to give Katie rest. So there was the yin and yang. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we did we did try and converse about how best to make it make it work.
0: Mm -hmm. And how uh, when you were talking about your parent, you know, your different parenting styles. I of course, I wonder how your parents were with you. Versus with your twin versus with your older brother. I mean, it seems, you know, from, from what I read, um, a few blog posts, it seems like you guys had a really close knit family. And so, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder all sorts of things. I wonder about any sense of maybe guilt that your twin brother has that he doesn't have CF versus you if there's any, if there's been any sort of like resentment, why did I get it and not him? And just how your parents either normalized your situation or just, um, yeah, how how that all worked in your family growing up. Like, how did you come to define yourself through the eyes of your family?
1: Yeah, so a chapter of my book um, and my survival memoir is called quite provocatively it's called how have how i have cheated
0: have I? yeah yeah
1: and so there's a chapter in that book called not alone which mm. basically sums up that i couldn't survive on my own and the family were the fabric of my survival certainly in my early years mm-hmm. um i n- never felt resentful or blamed them for that i've got it because they didn't know they were carrying it right so it's not their fault you know um, and I can still tell my mum if she's in ever in doubt. Um, my father passed away uh, nine a years ago. Years but,
0: ago, yeah. He, sorry.
1: Um, I did never blamed <laughs> him. Um, and as far as my siblings, my brothers, my elder brother and my twin brother, um, my elder brother was quite similar to my father. I think they struggled emotionally with seeing me suffer.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, whereas my twin, I think twins is a really superb bond and. We're just like a joke. We met across a crowded womb. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can only use that one if you've got you are a twin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I love him dearly and he I
3: don't
0: know.
1: He, he, you know, the egg gets split, and you know, you never you never know. No twins are just the same. They just Right, and look like each other or have the same birthday, and he he's perfectly healthy he he doesn't have the need to seek out challenge um he quite likes going with the flow mm-hmm. um I think he is super thoughtful and mindful of my suffering, and mm. if I need to go to hospital, he will either visit or send some a little gift. Um, so I'm never in doubt, that they support me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yes, my illness was a big thing, uh, throughout my formative years in the house, in you know, cause everything had to stop for my treatment and, mm-hmm. and go out the house until my physiotherapy and nebulizers had been done. And we'd often go on holiday relatively close to where we lived in Southampton. So that should I have a bad turn, we weren't you know, stranded somewhere.
0: Right.
1: My health would suddenly go badly wrong. So it, it played a huge part in our lives. But at the same time, I was playing sport with my brothers, just mm-hmm. keeping up with them. It probably how, had... how
0: did you do that?
1: Well, I probably have played sport from the get-go. So even though my lungs aren't great, I've exercised them all my life,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, at least twice a week.
2: Uh-huh. And,
1: you know, I'm 48 now, and a lot of people – Certainly, my peers have given up the ghost on any exercise. Right. Whereas I need it to literally need to it, live life to death. What life yeah. or death? And yeah, my point, I suppose, is that my brothers saw me playing sport and didn't think, "Oh, he's sick note and he's going to pass out, pass away soon." Wrap him up in cotton wool. It was, let's just you know treat him similarly. And I think that then set my benchmark for how I've always felt about myself. I've never benchmarked myself with. Other people with my condition, a benchmark against other people on the hockey field who are perfectly healthy mm-hmm. and all people in the office uh, or out socially, in mm-hmm. fact, I would try and outdo them all um and go are you a
0: little competitive, Tim?
1: Probably more than I would ever admit <laughs> yeah.
0: You just blushed a little bit yeah. when I asked you that
1: you were like, hey, I'm competitive with my illness yeah um and I know boxing isn't a sport that everyone loves because it's so barbaric and brutal and anything else that begins with the letter B, but it is harsh and it feels like I'm fighting uh, a demon, like a Mike Tyson in the ring that every day wants to take my head off. Uh Um, And therefore I have to be competitive Uh because um, the doctor can't help me every day. In fact, the doctor is just a small part of my survival. Yeah. It's a very holistic approach I've adopted, which is one of the reasons I'm still here, I think. And so, yeah, I am competitive with the illness and therefore maybe competitive with myself. If I commit to going to the gym, come hella high water, it will happen. Uh-huh. There'd be no sort of awful, or, oh, I can't be bothered. I'll just eat a takeaway. No, it's, I've committed to go. The lungs need it. I'll feel better once I'm done,
3: mm-hmm. however
1: harsh it is. So it's going to happen you know and I would have to look in the mirror that day if I hadn't gone and go well what happened to you you've uh, let yourself down Mm -hmm. and that's how it's become you know Uh, no one else I don't do any of my meds I don't go to the uh, do exercise to impress anyone else it's just for me Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people are peacocks in the gym I don't (laughs) know if that's a
0: yeah yeah discretion. like yeah,
1: to the yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah big macho, yeah, yeah. look at me, yeah
1: a, I went to the gym earlier today, and there was a guy that really should just get a room on his own uh, in the in the locker room, <laughs> um I go there just to get these knackered lungs going, and I've got osteoporosis as a side effect of too many um steroids,
2: uh-huh.
1: so I go and do my weights program to try and improve my bone density as well,,
3: uh-huh.
1: and I'm just all about that, and um. It's very single-minded. Single um, I don't need to be in a class. You know, I don't need motivation from others. It's just what I can bring myself. But circling back to your question, yeah, the, the family bond was intense. And I think it's had a knock-on effect on how I see my general friendships because I think everyone tends to look at me if they want something organized socially. They go, well, if Tim's organizing it, people will turn up.
3: Mm-hmm. And I'm
1: like, I'm like Mr. Network as far as there is that um, expression of six degrees of separation. Right. But I think with me, it's about three or two. <laughs> I think there are a lot of people uh-huh. because I, I tend to stay in contact and actually with the modern ways with text
2: and uh-huh.
1: um, uh, email, it, it's not that onerous really staying in contact with lots of your friends. And um, I make sure, I I think because life is short, And because every day feels like a a blessing and a gift. Uh And even I put it, it feels like an event. I want to make sure that I'm in contact with as many people and make them feel good about themselves because I can help myself by helping others.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask you because you, you said about your holistic approach, like how I know that mindfulness is a big part of your life. So how did you find that or how did it find you and how has that impacted both, um, you know, your daily living as well as your relationships with the people around you?
1: Yeah. Um, great question, Dawn. You should do this for a living. Uh, <laughs> um, as well as good luck to you. You're a good uh, interviewer. Um, Thank you. You're very sweet. Uh, I would say that the Holy Trinity of my survival or anybody who wants to outlive a chronic condition is, is threefold. It's you're doing your meds flawlessly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's the regular exercise. Uh, and the last of that Holy Trinity is the power of the mind. Mm-hmm. And I only really fought it for the first 35 years with the first two, mm-hmm. doing the meds and exercise. Mentally, I was just bullish rather than uh, strategic, mm-hmm. not realizing we only use a small percent of our brain to good effect. And the catalyst was when I got my side effect uh, diagnosis of type 1 diabetes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I passed go and went straight past type 2 to the good one. and <laughs>
0: <laughs> Always going for the best, right, Tim?
1: Anyways, why am I gonna- <laughs> uh You know, I'm on 40 pills a day, and it takes about two hours every day. So just to add some injections initially was really tough. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: But once I got into my groove, um, again, I'm my biggest taskmaster. So, um, but it was a really pivotal time adjusting to that diagnosis because suddenly I had a condition I was conscious and competent about. I didn't know much about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to cope you know, I would have my blood sugars be far too high. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not coping in when you do your first couple of injections in your body, your leg, your thigh, your abdomen, it's a tough gig. It's a very small, fine needle, but if you've never done it, I mean, now i just, you know, get on with it. I don't,
0: I don't like needles. I don't like to look at them.
1: Okay. Uh, well, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, Dawn.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I had to work it out. Um, but anyway, uh, one of the key points here is mentally up to that point, I was probably more hardwired to the negative. Uh, you can't cope.
3: Because mm-hmm. you know,
1: I think our minds generally have, if think of it as a radio station, it's more like sort of morose FM rather than jazz hands uh, FM.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's like that fight or flight. Like which which one are you going for today?
1: Yeah. And I think... I don't think I know. I was probably with that extra diagnosis for a period of time, Mm.
3: probably
1: complaining too much to people. How am I going to cope? It felt like a real crossroads moment. Mm -hmm. Is it the time where it's too much? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And two separate people at work suggested a book called uh, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And in particular, they referenced the health chapter in that book, the secret. And so I bought it because I'm, I'm that person that when you keep hearing, <clears throat> it just feels a bit too serendipitous not right. to do something about it. Right. I'm that person that will always go for it. If I've heard something, it just feels like, yeah, i have meant to hear that right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You understand that you're yeah. very uh, conscious. Um, yeah. So i got hold of the book and just was, uh, here we are, the pencil. i Pencil the hell out of self-help books so that it's, you know, I can see where I've got to come back to keep learning and remembering the key points. Yeah. So that chapter on health was really important because rather than bemoan what I had, it taught me to project in my my mind what I wanted to have.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So rather than go, oh, God, I'm going to have a rubbish day because of X, Y, and Z, it said, no, I'm going to have a really good day and I'm going to achieve all I can and my lungs will enable me you know, and my, I will have good control of my, of my diabetes.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
1: the positive affirmations that I started doing. And as a, any good habit, I didn't just do them, um, high days and holidays. I did them every, every day. Um, and it's been a habit that I've, um, finessed and improved with other affirmations and that do it every day. Um, I find the best time for me, everyone's different, but in the bathroom, a end of the day in the bathroom, don't you? To brushing your teeth after a shower.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's just me time. I don't want the radio on. I just want solitude. I want stillness. And mm-hmm. I want to tell myself the life and health I'm going to have. So, mm-hmm. so that was a key moment. And then what flowed from that was me just reading a whole bunch of different books around mindfulness as it was becoming more um, popular. But also, you know, this, this line of thinking has been around for thousands of years.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just it's not being packaged in the way it's being packaged now for us. Mm-hmm. And I could see that it just felt better that Holy Trinity was more complete for me when I was able to be more positive, more positive. So any negative thoughts were spun to more um, positive ones. That's one aspect. The other aspect is getting into things like uh, gentle meditation, understanding um, I, you know, the most important person that we'll ever speak to is myself. Mm-hmm. And I know you believe in that uh, yeah. completely. Yes. Um, and I think that a lot of people, maybe who have had the blessing of a fairly healthy life or without any huge crisis or life event, will just think that's just fluff. But the sort of you need the fire lit under your backside by something to make you realize, you know, there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm on my uppers right now and I need, I need something different than what's helped me in the past. And that level of presence and mindfulness, which is a great expression. I know you're going to love. I only heard it this week, which is why I'm playing it to everyone. Instead of practice makes perfect. Cause I don't think perfect ever works with mindfulness and presence. Cause it's an ongoing. I don't, yeah. I don't
0: think perf. I think, I think we are perfect but the but the idea of reaching some sort of perfection is external
1: exactly so instead of practice makes perfect Uh practice makes progress yeah because you're just gently tapping away and finessing at this habit Uh or being more present and some days better than others right and i just know it helps me It, it helps me through the tough tough moments at four in the morning if i'm having a downstairs not wanting to wake up Katie or Felix and having a coughing fit,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that's when I need to be completely clear about what this is in the context of that day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't define that day. It's a bloody tricky moment, but it's, we are still going to go to work. I'm still going to, you know, be sociable. I'm still going to be a father uh, mm-hmm. to Felix and a wife a wife and her husband to get to Katie,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
1: um, so that mindfulness approach allows me to contextualize, wallow in stuff that needs to be wallowed in for a period of time,
3: mm-hmm. but
1: also spin out the positive side of what I believe it is the right mindset. So, yeah,
0: because I, 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 feel like, I feel like a lot of people, because I'm this way too, you know, people have said to me, oh, you're just looking at life through rose-colored glasses. You can tell yourself all this BS, but it's not really true. You know, th- these are all the naysayers, and and my point is, what do you want to to focus on? Yeah, and and how is what you're focusing on helping you in your life? You know, how is it propelling you? Because because in my perspective, I feel like we are all here to grow and evolve, and like you were talking about the progress, that evolution of. You know, how can I become the best version of myself by constantly challenging myself and exploring new things and learning new things and growing? And, and I feel like whatever we put our focus on, it doesn't really matter what else is going on around us externally. It's like, this is the space that I want to create for myself. Doesn't really matter what anybody else's opinion is. Yeah. And it makes me feel better. <laughs> and that's what I want. I don't want to feel worse.
1: Yeah. And um, I read a recent quote by Muhammad Ali. If you have the same thoughts at 40 as you did at 20, you've wasted 20 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and I'm very different to that person. Um, in lots of ways, it's the same rigor with my condition
3: mm-hmm.
1: and desire to have fun. But underpinned now by this sort of mental agility, which I believe every day I'm going to learn something new, and I'm I'm like a magpie. I don't know if you know that the bird that picks up. Do you know that bird? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Always trying to find new bits about being present. What am I doing that I, you know, keep going with the good bits? But you know, where am I going to learn or read or hear something new that I can build into my my daily? way of living. So
0: yeah, because because curious. each each message, you know, that you receive, whether or not you rehearse it <laughs> time and time again, it's in there. It's in yeah. there and it's having an effect. And and that's why I feel like, you know, that part of our um the part of our mind that we don't use, use because we don't use a lot of it. So it's like me trying to well I, I say trying to fill it, but Tim I, I honestly believe that we're just remembering our truth mm. okay. that we come from this place of perfection. Um, you know, we're, we're born as these perfect little, you know, human beings, but I believe that we are, you know, spirit and a human body and that our soul is just guiding us through our life to help us remember that we're full of love we're full of light, we're full of joy and potential and laughter. And, um, you know, and I think, I think a lot of these things in our lives that are challenging, chronic challenge, daily challenges, are, are opportunities for us to see the beauty in the world, to, um, you know, to see what's good around us, to see what's good and beautiful within us. And yeah. within each other,
1: and it takes you off autopilot. And uh-huh. I see, sort of quite a, quite an observer around the office or in generally in life. Mm-hmm. All I've witnessed far too many people who will fret about something that will never happen, mm-hmm. but they probably lost a whole night's sleep. Weeks will just go, and then you see them, and they're saying the same same soundtrack of mm-hmm. worry mm-hmm. and I tell my son 98% of the things that you worry about and it will never happen
2: right.
1: <clears throat> just, becoming, just because we become adults doesn't mean that that stat isn't the same right and so people do worry about or can have concerns about the future they also can live too much in the past but actually what I'm learning all we ever really have is this moment and mm-hmm. um, the people that would hear that and go well Academically, I get that, but I don't feel it. Um, yeah, but... life event. They need that life event or health event to make them appreciate that life is short and everything is impermanent. And um, actually, I have suffered awfully in the past and I'm going to suffer a lot in the future with my health.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But actually, by being more present, I suffer a lot less.
3: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: why would I not want more of that? And then join up those moments of feeling really quite present um in the course of a day so you have more days where you actually feel sort of on top of things and joyful than mm-hmm. you know
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: disparaging and negative
0: are you are you helping teach this sense of mindfulness to other people who are dealing with cf
1: so i think i'm beyond i'll try and think beyond cf um I,
0: yeah an anybody anybody no,
1: anybody yeah because Actually, interestingly, for my book and my blog, and I've just recently released a podcast called The Gift.
0: I know, well, it's really, beautiful. <laughs> so the,
1: the gift of uh, resilience, calm, and joy. Uh-huh. It's another the, no, the power of three. It's not just resilience for the tough moments. It's calm, steadfast through it all,
2: uh-huh. but also
1: to really appreciate the joyful moments. But yeah, um, I, I think people with good health have said to me, I've got as much from this as anybody with bad health.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That just reinforces what I felt that what I've gone through, what I've learned actually for fit, nearly 50 years is super helpful, not just to me, mm-hmm. but also to many others. And that's why I'm always keen to, to keep helping others and sharing what I've learned. But also through the podcast, I'm interviewing guests who are going through different, Uh, life challenges or health challenges Mm -hmm. and they can help me and as well as my listeners Mm -hmm.
0: that's that's why I said you're an earth angel (laughs) because because to me like I I don't know you very well and and I hear your I hear your story about your illness but I think that you are your illness is a part of your life but it does not define you you know Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, you, how you are showing up in the world and, and the message the messages that you are sharing with people, that defines you. Like you're on this mission to help people live their life to the fullest every yeah. single day.
1: Yeah, and I tend to ask myself a question. Um, have I survived cystic fibrosis to do this or feel this? You know, maybe be a job that doesn't feel terribly inspiring? um am i doing enough with my knowledge to help others and uh-huh. if i don't think the answer is the right one i try and change the environment to make it the right answer
2: uh-huh
1: um and you know what every day i said it every day feels like an event and mm. despite the hardship i tend to be and you've seen me in our conference calls the happiest chap.
0: yeah i'm
1: always trying to find a joke somewhere crack, a
0: joke. Yep. crack what's a joke yep the, what's the crack
3: <laughs>
1: and I'm just the same when I'm in, walking in the office, in the gym earlier. I'm always I'm super smiley. Um, the amount of people that probably go a whole day without cracking a smile—it's sad.
0: It's sad. It's a shame. It's, a shame. it's sad. Um, people are walking around so unhappy, and it's like you only have one life to live. Yeah. Why don't you not not just survive? Because I know you've you know you've talked about surviving, but it's really like thriving. How can you live your life in the most abundant, joyful, amazing way as possible? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're born again. Maybe we, we're reincarnated. I don't know. So, why don't I make the most of the time that I have right now?
1: Exactly, and I've sort of got it to a fine art where. Um, I live every day like it could be my last.
0: Mm-hmm. Not in a
1: sort of morose way. Morose
0: but, way, yeah. Yeah,
1: but if uh, if tomorrow doesn't happen, then I want to make sure that where possible, at this this what this day feels joyful. Uh, I've learned something. I've helped make a difference to someone else, and I've made someone smile. You know. And, right.
0: Those are your three questions, right? If yeah. You ask yourself every day.
1: Yeah, and the no feel do is. Um, what do i want to know what do i want to feel and then what mm-hmm. do i want to do most people just have the do list a to-do list
0: a to-do list with really boring mundane things that they don't want to do <laughs> yeah.
1: and i don't believe in bucket lists i don't believe in new year's resolutions every day mm-hmm. reset yourself and see what you can No feel do that that feels magical um and um i sort of touched on meditation and i think a lot of people struggle with where to begin
3: mm-hmm. and they think
1: you know, you've got to be sitting in the perfect little posture for an hour
3: mm-hmm. and they
1: go, well, I've got barely two minutes to scratch my backside. How am I going to achieve that? Well, actually a lot of modern evidence is just one minute of breathing mm-hmm. deeply um, in a mindful way. Just observing your thoughts actually is more helpful if you just do it on a regular basis.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the way I anchor myself to the present moment is through nature
3: mm-hmm. and it's
1: free. It costs nothing. And right. these are part of the, the thousand moments that I witness every day that most people who aren't looking will miss and nature just opened my back door and that I can hear birdsong. I can see the clouds Mm -hmm. Um, and that allows me to be still and mindful and be present. And for me, it's been really helpful to anchor myself and grow moments in that moment. So, so grow, grow, um, roots. like a tree, grow roots in yeah. that moment. Yeah. And that just feels, it could be special and have wonder and awe about what's around you, whether it be a flight of birds that go over particular bird song, uh, a bumblebee, just getting on with the day. Uh, there's so many wonderful things. And there's a book by um a lady called Bronnie Ware and her book, she used to be an end of stage uh, nurse
2: mm-hmm. to people who are dying. Uh-huh.
1: And she's kept seeing time and again, five things that people regretted. And it was called five regrets of the dying. Mm-hmm. And one of them was that they missed the small moments.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And another one was that they, you know, didn't, they weren't true to themselves. Right. Uh, making everybody,
0: making everybody else happy instead of themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Well done. And another one would be, Uh, that they'd lost contact with really good friends and they regretted that. So, but suddenly that one around missing what really was special and important was often the small things, Uh not the big ticket items.
0: Uh
1: And I've sort of really honed in on that.
0: Do you think that having Felix has helped you? Because I, I know that when I had my kids, that I think that kids teach you numerous things. Most importantly, they teach you unconditional love because they can be jerks. <laughs> you know, they can be mis- misbehaving left and right, but you still love them no matter what. Right. So unconditional love. I think your kids teach you forgiveness when they are, and especially, you know, as they get older, they tend to have their moments, um, that you you know, forgive them. And they teach you to stay present, especially when they're little, when, when kids are so in the moment and they are full of wonder and magic and joy looking at life, you know, when you can look at life through their eyes, it changes your perspective and it takes you back to that simplicity of, oh my gosh, look at that dump truck. Wow. Isn't that really cool? Or, Oh my gosh, look at those birds and going chase after them. And, you know, yeah. just those simple, yeah. beautiful moments that cost nothing. It's just being present in the moment. You know, yeah. like you said, that presence is a gift.
1: Yeah. And, I'd augment, and they're all valid and perfectly true, Dawn. And you've had three children, so you've got three times more experience than me. But I would augment that with by saying that it stops you, it all being about you. Yeah you know, you've got someone else that needs you. Certainly when they're really young, they can do nothing for themselves. So, uh, you know, your BS, you know, that's a very American. They love that, that two two letters together. We don't do that in England.
0: (laughs) You don't? What do you, what do you call it? Crap. Crap. (laughs) Same, same.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Same, same, but I just noticed it's quite an American trope. Um, and I like it. um, Yeah, often before kids, you tend to be quite caught up with your own self or be a bit selfish.
3: Yeah.
1: Not everybody, but I think that's a fair picture. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you've got a child that needs you or the last thing I want to do is take him out again when I've been out all day. But I will go because he wants to go. And Mm -hmm. certainly boys are like dogs. They need to be exercised.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My daughter was the same. Trust me. Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. <laughs> it
3: um, was
0: climbing and running and biking and you know, all of that stuff.
1: And now that he's 12 and he's actually good value for conversation. If I can get him away from his phone,
3: mm-hmm. I then
1: have to show him in role model and get off my phone. So that he's got my full attention
3: mm-hmm. and
1: he's shouting out daddy in the, in the house, I uh, will come down and he wants to tell me some sport factoid, you know, and I, I want to be all attention for him because yeah. he's desperate to tell me something. And yeah, that, that really, those used feel quite all special moments with him. I already had quite a few with him today, so it's very real. Mm,
0: that's amazing. And you felt like your parents treated you in that same manner. They were really present for you.
1: Yes. I suppose they wouldn't have used that narrative because it wasn't very popular. Right. The right. But um, I think they had to be, my mum was a nurse. Uh-huh. So she, she, in fact, she used to look after people with my illness on a hospital before I was born. So she oh, saw wow. all the signs of me that I had the illness and pushed uh-huh. for an early diagnosis. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, so she she got me very, very um, disciplined with the meds. And I mm-hmm. think, um, amongst many other things, she's been grateful. That was really her biggest gift for me is... A taking ownership and b doing the meds uh, flawlessly um, and then my father, as I mentioned, coached me hockey,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, so he got me being more active um, so in different ways, they were very present um, and supportive
0: mm-hmm. do you Do you think sports would help all people with CF? I think sports, I think sports helps people in general because it just, you know, you, you learn how to deal with people. (laughs) You learn the give and take, you learn, you know, to take care of your own body and be aware of your own body. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, And, um, it's, it's, as long as you exercise, if we're talking about purely about CF, as long as you're exercising the lungs, it could be, um, an instrument you're blowing into. Uh huh. Could be singing.
0: The diger uh, I think you've mentioned that yeah. before.
1: <laughs> australia Yeah. Um, could be dancing. A lot of the people I know who are my age, forty-eight or slightly older, and still alive with CF because they did sport, and that's so. You know, that's strong evidence uh-huh. and big testimony about why it's so important. So, but actually, most hospitals now will have somebody that comes in and gets them to. Uh, talk about exercise. They probably have access to a treadmill in the in the hospital.
3: Uh-huh. That
1: didn't exist most of my life. That's just more modern thinking.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and it is. It's like a second treatment. You know that that I know. I feel as tough as it is. Either playing hockey or um going on the treadmill. I know that I feel my lungs feel better afterwards. Uh-huh. If I go more than four or five days without doing one of those exercises. My lung, I can feel my lung function reduced,
0: uh-huh. and
1: so um, I use the treadmill metaphor. I never get off the treadmill as far as okay. exercise. Yeah, is that that crucial to me?
0: I did. I did that little straw exercise when I was listening oh, you to you speak. Did I did. You? Yeah. Uh huh. And okay. I, I felt the straw. Um, pee.
1: So you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell tell did.
0: everybody how to how to do it.
1: Yeah, you put a basic straw in your mouth and hold your nose with your fingers, mm-hmm. um, or finger and thumb and try and breathe for a minute and that's the straw free challenge and it just will give healthy people or people with good lungs an idea how having cystic fibrosis can feel when we're having a chronic infection or when we're really unwell Mm -hmm. and um yeah it's not it's as close as you're probably going to get without getting the illness and i wouldn't wish it on anyone
0: it it reminded me, uh, I went scuba diving one time and that's exactly how it felt. It was very conscious. You know, at first it felt a little claustrophobic, like, am I going to get air in? You know, but it was definitely, um, yes, yeah, definitely like work. It's like you are aware of your breathing as opposed to so many people take their breathing for granted. Yeah, right? and they
1: will do. And it's the simplest thing they can do.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But for me, it's the hardest thing at times, and for many like me.
3: Uh-huh. Um,
1: and there's a truism, you know, what a lot of people take for granted, other people pray for.
2: Yeah. And
1: it's the same with decent breath, taking a breath without maybe a cough. I would love to have a night of sleep where I'm not potentially waking up my wife with a cough because it's
3: mm-hmm.
1: so irritating, and then I stay awake for longer because I'm trying to stave off that cough. So it's just a really harsh life um, that I lead and the knock on effect for loved ones is always there. And um,
0: there's no type of like a CPAC machine, you know, for people that have sleep apnea. There's nothing like that for um, no, people with it, CF. It wouldn't
1: help the, the lungs. What, why you're coughing is because the mucus has crept up yeah. and you want to try and clear it. Right. So that sleep apnea device, the CPAC won't, I don't believe no one's ever suggested it would help me in fact you may struggle even more mm. um but yeah the mucus is it's an awful subject but the mucus is always there in our lungs
3: mm-hmm. it's very
1: thick and that's why we cough so much to try and mm-hmm. get it up mm-hmm. and if you're having a coughing spasm or a fit then actually this precious little you can do that then just ride the ripple with it uh-huh. and if that's happening at four in the morning this right it's a pretty helpless time for right. people with cf to try and navigate that um right. and i don't blame katie for getting annoyed and frustrated with me you know 17 18 years of it you yeah. know not every night but enough that you know
0: sh- it can be annoying
1: yeah and I, I haven't said this but i i would say anybody who is either dating or in a long-term relationship with someone with a chronic condition they're pretty special because they got to see that person beyond the illness yeah and still love them and that there aren't many people and I I also said or haven't said that most of my partners in the past have all we've all they've all been low maintenance really they're not precious partners it was all about themselves they had to be thoughtful and mindful compassionate
2: Mm -hmm.
1: otherwise it just wouldn't work right and Katie uh to date is certainly you know being that person that is more compassionate and thoughtful or we can square off a difficult time quickly mm-hmm. with a joke and we learn to diffuse difficult moments or actually get a bit of solitude away from each other. You know, uh, we've never been that couple that have to be glued to each other
3: mm-hmm. and
1: actually solitude in a relationship at times is super helpful. Yeah. is then you can sort of reconvene and you've sort of put
0: frustrations- things in perspective.
1: Yeah, the Frustrations have dissipated a bit and mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely, I've learnt many good lessons, um, yeah. for when I need to be out of her sight.
0: And, and so she's, she's your earth angel as well.
1: Yes. I think uh, we're well matched in that respect. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you one more question about the, um, that movie that came out this year.
1: Oh yes. Five feet apart. Yes.
3: Uh
0: huh. How was it? What do you think about, um, you know, the realistic portrayal of, it. I haven't seen went... No, I haven't seen it. I just, I just saw it this week. So yeah. You saw the
1: title. Yeah. I saw um, the title. Uh huh. So for those that haven't watched it or may have heard of it, five feet apart is one of the first ever films that really portrays what having my illness cystic fibrosis is about,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it shows a very, adolescent storyline um a love story as well with two mm-hmm. teenagers 18 year olds meeting in a hospital unit one thing that we haven't mentioned i haven't mentioned is that because of the risk of cross infection people with my illness shouldn't ever be in the same room um or can really you, close. can to you go. wear
0: masks
1: uh you could yeah and that's what they do in the film uh-huh um but So maybe let's say people who suffer with cancer, you can maybe have your chemo sat next to each other and you can bitch and moan and whine about, Uh just have that support. But with CF, we can never meet each other. Um, Mm. So the film brings that out, that it's called Five Feet Apart because that's the, in theory, the distance that you should be apart from each other if you are in the same room Mm -hmm. to then not give each other uh, your bugs and your germs. Mm -hmm. um but it does show that even these 18 year olds they're close to death and they need the girl in the film who was wonderful actress she needed a lung transplant in the film so that just portrays the fact that people die young and suffer really young with cf it's not i'm 48 and i'm a rarity Mm -hmm. but people are dying far too young Mm
3: -hmm.
1: but yeah it's a very it's a very poignant film um and I'd recommend anyone watches it because it, it's actually quite a good story arc to it. Um, love story for the teenagers as well.
0: And for uh, me, I, cause I love love stories.
1: Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was, it was odd. I'm glad I watched it on my own in the cinema.
0: You said uh, you cried. It really yeah. affected you.
1: Yeah. And I, I probably needed, I'm pretty, I can be very vulnerable more than the average man.
3: You mm-hmm.
1: never likes to admit that they're struggling um mm-hmm. so but in that particular facebook post i felt it was appropriate to a promote the film and b share <laughs> that i had been struggling with some health problems that, that this year and,
0: and that I, th- I think that's okay
1: to cry. yeah yeah
0: i think that's okay i mean i i i i cry i cry a lot you know i've been told many times you're too sensitive i'm like you know what that's my superpower because a lot of people are afraid to cry and i'm not yeah. you know i feel something and it could be sad or it could be joy and i cry and so it, i was actually thinking about that when i when i read that about you it's like you know i'm sure there are plenty of times in your life where you just want to sit in a corner and ball like a baby me yeah
1: um, I'm actually, I'm pretty more than the average male. I'm super um, transparent about what's going on and share uh-huh, uh-huh. over the top. But actually, I don't cry that often because I've mm-hmm. built up this obdurance and positivity that it never gets to that point where I'm needing to let it overtake me. And mm-hmm. then maybe it builds up too long, Dawn, so that then when, this, when I watched that film, it was just a perfect, like Like, yeah
0: yeah you don't, you don't you don't need to wait tim
1: i know (laughs) but uh i think that's the male psyche as well in play
0: which is part of why i'm doing what i'm doing because i want to normalize all this stuff you know that we all have these both are you know strong sides And we also have our vulnerable and I do not say that they're weak because there's a huge strength and vulnerability because I feel like that's what connects us. That's what teaches us compassion, both for ourselves and for other people, you know, that that we all, no matter what struggles we experience, we all share emotions, you know, hurt, sadness, disappointment. Um, and also peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment. You know, we all share that human experience. And so, you know, I am really trying to help people honor whatever they're feeling, what, wherever they are in this present moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. So where the uh, purpose for you and one that you're doing a good job on, I, I would say cause you're not a man. Yeah. Uh, You wouldn't necessarily know how we feel when we, when men meet up with men, we don't always want to talk about too serious of things, Mm -hmm. fact, the more trivial, the better, (laughs) which is why, you know, because you just
0: like to laugh.
1: Yeah. Goof about watch the sport. Uh, Last night I went, met up with two bloke friends. We watched a boxing fight Uh in between rounds. I did ask them personal questions about their life, but actually most of the time men don't need to have that diet, right. that diet, uh, diatribe. Right. It's just about being together, probably minimal dialogue. Yeah. You're grunting just
0: grunting. <laughs>
1: yeah. Whereas, you know, my wife and I've not just my wife, but others, ladies, they meet together and they have about 12 conversations that can all go on all at the same time. Probably never finish any of them. And, <laughs> and it's amazing. Don't draw breath. And it's a very different uh, sort of uh, way of communicating, and yeah. communication is the essence here. I think it's getting men to be better communicators with each other,
3: because mm-hmm.
1: it's more likely that man is going to say to another man, "I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to fess up." Mm-hmm. I don't think they necessarily always want to be doing that to a female um, outside of their partner, and e- even not to their partner. But I think men need to get better at it's knowing it's fine to, to call something out if they're not well or feeling great to another man, um, and just because then they will realise actually he didn't laugh at me. No, he was interested. He didn't judge me. He didn't judge me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'm a, I do I'm a communicator by by trade and business.
0: Right, right.
1: Ninety percent of communicators are females. They're better at communicating. Pardon mm-hmm. <coughs> <Hold> me Pardon <coughs> me um, there's my c f for you
3: yeah,
1: um, which means that actually I'm quite a rarity as a communicator, as a male mm-hmm. that I am therefore mindful as well. Put that in because I think the key tenet of of um mindfulness is to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to communicate with them, then find out what is making them tick. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Otherwise you're second guessing. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And I think that helps every friendship I've got and my marriage and my relationship with my son. And it's certainly a takeaway that any listener um, would want. If I've got anything to give them, it might be just, it's not just about yourself. It's putting yourself in the shoes of the person in front of
0: you. Right. Well, and and I know you said, that men might not necessarily want to tell their partner, but I feel like because in a way this is my perspective, my perspective or my perception that you don't, that you would rather not tell your partner because you want to protect her in some way, which it, you know, like which to protect the woman, I think is a wonderful, um, a wonderful thing in a particular instance, but I don't feel like you have to protect showing your partner who you are because that's honoring who you are and your partner wants to know who you are. If yeah. they're, you know, if they're a partner and if they're supportive and if they're unconditionally loving, like yeah. it goes both ways.
1: Yeah. And I hey, listen, um, marriages, um, it's ongoing. It, it, yeah. I've not got it sussed. I've only been married for 16 years and we have our good and not so good moments. Yeah. I'm not going to try and jupe you that it's all amazing. Right. But I'm sure that we've got, um, navigated really tricky waters <clears throat> because our, she and I have been prepared to have some very open and honest conversations. Yeah. And in doing that, hour or however long it takes to have that conversation it's not easy and we both need to go away and think about it yeah and most of the time we have to sort of meet in the middle and there's not one person that has to change their behavior right but I do know some friends of mine whose marriages have ended up not working because they kept saying they needed to have that chat and never did it
3: Mm.
1: so just one maybe 30 minutes to an hour of feeling uncomfortable actually. Is
0: going to prevent a divorce. Potentially
1: could. It could. Yeah. And then it's like flexing a muscle. Okay, well, we did it that time and it, the world didn't fall in. And right. we actually actually woke up the next day and we're laughing again. Because right. the pressure had sort of reduced.
2: Right.
1: And the tension had gone.
2: Right.
1: So actually, this the next time the tricky moment comes, okay, well, you know, maybe we do need another difficult and challenging um, conversation. Mm-hmm. But we know that we, we do it more often or when needed. It actually serves us better than just thinking it will just get better magically, which very rarely does it.
0: No, it, it becomes so, a, it becomes a new kind of relating a new kind of normal.
1: Yeah. Um, so silence isn't always golden and I'd rather uh, have it out as they say.
2: Yeah.
1: Cause I know that often it produces a better outcome after after the difficult hour or so.
0: Because you know because it, you're both being transparent and you're both yeah. seeing each other, you know, as they are and coming, you know, le- learning some compassion or extending some compassion, acceptance, understanding, all of those things that we want. Yeah. For and ourselves actually, and for our partner.
2: Yeah, and
1: often Dawn certain things that I had assumed aren't true and vice versa.
2: Right.
1: And you know, you can get yourself into a right little <laughs> Head spin, can't you? Well, they don't think they don't ever think about me in that way, and da da da. Right. Uh, It's all about the kids, and then actually, it's not the truth. And when you pull them up on it, they go, "That's not how I feel." Right. You're like, I've just wasted all these months getting myself into a storyline that's not—it's not true.
0: Yeah. When you're questioning, Uh, ask. (sighs) Yeah, because nobody's a mind reader.
1: No, they're not. They're not, and we're not perfect. And I'm not perfect husband, as far as I'm not. You know, around the house, I won't be as um, diligent um, as Katie would want me to be. Mm-hmm. That irritating for a lot of wives. Um, so at times I've learned to go, yeah, good comment, well made. I'll do better, mm-hmm. you know, rather than be all you know prickly. No, um, I'm fine, and right. it's not my problem. Right, I'll I'll own up, and when, when I could do more, and I've not carried my weight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that helps. That's a love language that. If your partner likes to keep the house tidy and you're not, then you're not really supporting them with love language because after the first couple of champagne glory years, actually, it becomes more than just what's going on in the bed. Yeah. It's it's about those deep um, and non-sexual touching and and you know, the hug and the, you know um, holding hands when out without your child. Right,
2: right. Um,
1: those become as, as important. Um, um, as, as the sort of holistic nature of just being together through the thick and thin.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that the bedroom is the icing on the cake, but everything else is the cake.
1: Yeah. It is the cake. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So how, how, how would you define real love?
1: Um, I think real then just pairs back to being more present.
3: Mm -hmm. and
1: uh though Katie is doesn't meditate she is not someone that's at my level of presence um I think I've seen signs through what I'm doing with my public speaking and the podcast that she is seeing the benefits when in a difficult moment to actually be more real Mm. and I think friendships is an extension a friendship is a marriage is an extension of a friendship so you know, why would you not be as honest and real with your in your marriage or your partnership as mm-hmm. you would be in a friendship? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's what real love is. Where yes, we talk about warts and all, we also have a, a good laugh, and you know, you know, we our wedding vows. We joke it should have been in sickness and in sickness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and if you can throw in those lines when there's a tough moment, it breaks it down. It, yeah. it doesn't feel so bloody depressing it, yeah. it it breaks the breaks the moment up in a nice way
0: yeah so well, yeah, i really that's... appreciate your humor i really appreciate your attitude your presence your gift of resilience calm and what was the third one joy <laughs> joy thank you <laughs> resilience calm and joy i mean you are you are a gift tim oh. watton
1: thank you very much what Cotton with a W.
0: (laughs) So if people want to find your book and find your podcast, please tell us again.
1: Yeah, the the book, How Have I Cheated Death, can be um, bought in all formats on Amazon or can be ordered in bookstores. Um, My podcast is called, uh, as I said, The Gift of Resilience, Calm and Joy. It can be Mm -hmm. found on Apple, uh, Google and all all other platforms. And you can find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Tim Watton.
0: And what about your blog, which is beautiful, by the way?
1: My blog? Yes. Um, glad you mentioned that. It is called Postcards from Earth. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was counting down to 40 and now i have changed it.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it, now it's just counting up. It yep. just keeps counting up. Yeah. Because you're a beautiful writer. and.
2: <laughs> Pardon um, me.
0: And a beautiful man. So I appreciate so much that you joined me today. You're um you're a gift, and I can't wait to meet you uh in a month or so.
1: (coughs) Pardon me, Dawn. Um yes, looking forward to that. All right.
0: So uh, having me on the show. You're quite welcome. Uh and if you would like what you heard today, because I know you will, please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with all your friends. And if you would like support and finding more real love in your life, you can contact me on Facebook and Instagram at the awakening with Dawn. And part of, you know, this important part of having a relationship is putting yourself in other people's shoes. Um, But as Tim said, the most important relationship you'll have is the one that you have with yourself so that you can be the kind of partner that you want to have. So thank you so much, Tim. Thank you listeners and, um, every day, wake up to more real love. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.